Hey, if you've got an extra 15 minutes and are still awake, stick around after this week's episode for a preview of a new podcast from at least some of the hosts here. It's called Unleashed. It's furry storytelling. And uh, yeah, after this episode. Welcome to Radio Free Demos and Nick Sundarconis fan cod, pod, podcast. <laughs> God, God. I'll say sounds that. delicious. It sounds kind of obscene in the Middle Ages, yeah. <laughs> a Nick Sundarconis fan podcast broadcasting from a post Demos orbit on Voltaire Station. This week's episode is episode 48 Cogsunes and Lumen. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. Cogsunes and Lumen. Smoke and mirrors. <sighs> oh, wow. Now, that's an idea. A Cogsune diva. Oh, joy. Oh. I mean, have you, have you seen the art for it? They have the hips for it. Yeah. Yeah, just the personality for them sounds like the polar... Sorry, we're, we're, we're getting ahead. No, I'm going to use this. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah, but just the, the, the notion of... Because they're like the farthest thing from, from creative people, right? Well... I mean, I'm not saying they're not creative, but, but they're technical creative people. They are the furthest thing from socially creative people, that, yes. Exactly that, which would make a, uh, yeah, a coxine diva. That would just be precious. They're specifically morally opposed to singing and fascinated by it, too. That, that specifically. So the idea of someone that's specialized in singing as an experiment of some sort. Right. And, and whose performances have to be delayed. Well, it's like, you know, well, I'm sorry. We're pushing this back until she responds to every single piece of her fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> they are coxsunas. They can do that incredibly quickly. Though. That's true. That's However, true. they're also coxsunas. They can create fan mail incredibly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's actually take a serious tangent here and briefly talk about the origins of the coxsune life form, such as it is. Someone realized there weren't enough Fenix in the game. Absolutely true. Okay, so yeah, the the uh, genesis of <laughs> okay, rewind. So we're going back in time to about 350 AE, give or take, depending on what resource you're looking at. Um, this is about 300 years after the creation of the Cog. And at the time, ASR was doing very good for itself. That's the Applied Science and Robotics uh, Corporation. They had recently invented the thrust drive. Oh, don't. <laughs> Tish. Um, Bringing the rimshot back into popular usage. <laughs> <laughs> um, which really opened up Seoul for exploration. Uh, that was uh, about 322. This was the levitation, high energy efficiency drive that let cogs, no, that let vectors explore the entire solar system. This revolutionary new form of transportation will get you anywhere in Seoul in, in two, two weeks. weeks. <laughs> it got me to Ganymede, and then I stayed on Ganymede. <laughs> well, any way to work in dialogue from my favorite sci-fi movie anyways. 
So we've started exploring Mercury, Ganymede, Europa. It is a real boom time for science. Progenitus has just unleashed pan immunity, so vectors are happily not suffering under the yoke of medical pricing anymore for a while. Uh, it's a time of reasonable prosperity and reasonable uh, expansion for vectors and cogs, and science is riding pretty high. Vast opportunities to realize shareholder growth. <laughs> not personal wealth, mind you. So, uh, again, around 350, ASR develops a new artificial, let's not call it a life form, they develop an artificial flesh that can behave organically. It's able to grow, it's able to merge with itself, it creates a type of implant that can merge with the body in just magically. Uh, it does help if that body was recreated to be of this flesh. So you're going to need someone who's willing to totally throw away their existence and recreate themselves as an inorganic entity. There's some people who do that. And ASR has built their own life form in the past, so let's create a new one. Wasn't it explicitly not a life form as to not offend the cogs? Uh, we didn't get there yet. Okay. Um, there's kind of a muddy beery here. There was some, there was some, no, you're, no, no, you're right. It was marketed as this. Um, I know you've been on Ganymede for a few years. Uh, one few. One very common pattern we've been talking about a fair bit is that the first book, 1.0, has a strong from the vector perspective, and it tends to be more playful, it tends to be lighthearted, there tends to be more jokes, and it's kind of the popular populist view of history. So you'll find things like, uh, give me an example. And they lived happily ever after. Yes, or, and then the CEO of Marsco quipped, of ASR quipped, uh, it's COGS 2.0, and... Uh, the company collapsed for a while, and that was just how it happened. There's a lot of kind of easy stories in 1.0. And the humans handed power over peacefully. <laughs> After being thoroughly exterminated. <laughs> well, or what was the last human family that was sent to uh, sent to Terra? You know, the idea of the last human family, is it reminds me of that video game where you have the little uh, trying to protect the people from the robots. And oh, Robotron. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in practice, the last human family was the exile of the remainder of the human race. So it was some 500 people, yeah. a bit more of a family. So song and silence, no, I did it again. Sound and silence opens up a lot of this stuff and kind of makes the game, it's still, it's still bright where it's bright, but the darker is much darker and it's, it has a more dystopian feel at the dark edges. Pulled aside the marketing cover. Yeah, exactly. And Tupano kind of sticks with that tone. So my description to all of my players that HSD is kind of your perfect uh, perfect dystopia is more apt now than it has ever been in the past. I'd say it's a fairly fair glib description. Still. Well, that was okay, I've said from the beginning that this is not a utopia. It just appears like one. It's yeah. a perfect dystopia. <laughs> yes. It's a <laughs> utopia on the brochures. Yeah, but we have a lot of stuff. You have a lot of stuff. <laughs> it is a utopia of stuff. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yes, there was a brief marketing campaign and I guess a series of large scale focus groups where ASR tried to determine whether or not we were ready for a third species. Uh, they asked around. The cogs were saying, no, we're not ready for that. Thank you very much. No, 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 not now, not never. And the vectors were like, eh, I guess, uh, uh, do we need one? So there was a lot of equivocating and lack of positive response to the idea of a new species. So then they decided to ask if people wanted to have this integrated in their body. And you know, vectors are pretty happy to have things integrated in their body. And I, someone snickered there. Um, 
And over time, and probably like 20 years of campaigning, it became the idea of this techno flash became fairly popular, and people were willing to sign on to this as an idea. I mean, and telemorphic flesh is similar. People have replaced their bodies with goo, and they're okay with that. Um, vectors replace their bodies with weird stuff all the time. Um, they're good on that sort of thing. So the idea of totally re uh, new, 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 new blood. That's another one. New blood, yes. So the idea of replacing yourself with a more adaptive technology replacement is just fine as long as your brain is intact. Vectors are really less human than human in so many ways. Well, considering that you can kind of just at any point in time get a hard reset and get a new body. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to experiment a little bit? That's handy. It's so, just they cost a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have a replaceable tail. That's something. Just an arm and a leg, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so in the cultural moment, there was a lot of excitement building up towards the launch of this new product line. And it would have probably been a new type of organism, this synthetic replica of your old self. And that was when, uh, what's his name? Um... Aaron So said, welcome to the universe, COG 2.0. And then ASR had a temporary meltdown and lots of chaos followed and the COGs rioted and left their work and stroke, stroke, striked in vast numbers. And trillions of dollars later, uh, ASR has successfully apologized. And in the wake of that disaster created the Cogsunes. Well, we called them the Grobots for a while, but they're Cogs. Really? The Cogs yeah, the Grobot. I, you know, my, what a terrible name. Well, the Cogsunes believe that too, and that's why they call themselves the Cogsunes, and it mostly stuck. They, they didn't consult Pulse about this, did they? No. Okay, they were trying to create the image of a product that no one was going to be interested in that would just go under the radar. So they created something that nobody would focus on, and they uh -huh. called it something kind of generic and yeah. dumb. Yeah, Grobot really sounds like it's using Chia technology. <laughs> it sounds like a Chia pet, all things considered. Yeah. yeah. Did you know? Have you noticed there's no megacorp based on plant technology yet? And I plan to fix that oh. in the near future. Wouldn't TTI kind of have that covered, considering they have spaceships that grow and eat people? Well, they grow, but they're not green. Oh, they are green sometimes. They but are they're green not, They're not like the right green. They're avocado green. Anyway. It's a green. It's a nice green. So years later, the Kogsunes, who are a two foot, two and a half foot tall race of weird little fox androids with hyper technology have consistently released in dribbles and drabs some of the most powerful technology that uh, the universe has seen, mostly to ASR. And that's kind of where we are today. Although recent events in the Kogsune world have changed things dramatically. Enter Lumen, which two years ago in canon launched onto the scenes. I believe we are okay talking about post-spoiler things now, as Lumen is a company dominated by Cogsunes as a strange experiment. And I think most of post-2.0 HSD is being shaped by these changes, so their influence on society is much more profound now than it was before. And they may not be under ASR's direct control anymore, if they ever were. The Cogsunes were never really under ASR's control. It was more of uh, they agreed to keep quiet as long as ASR continued to fund them. Yeah, they, they, a funding for product model. Yeah, it is important to remember that ASR uses them as a plausible deniability wall. And uh, we don't really... 
There's some moments in, in Kagsune descriptions where we maybe realize that they are true monsters and huh. we've forgotten that because they're cute little phoenix. Uh, they are, in some paragraphs, quite amoral. Sometimes they're kind of fun and funny, but uh, the experiments they do, I think the, the word abhorrent was used once or twice. Huh. Uh, they are morally not human. They are, they are alien constructs that are very keen on being the observer in an experiment. And sometimes a performer of the experiment, they are not human. They are not ethical as we understand it. And that's worth remembering. They're not psychotic, but they're differently minded. Now, should they be in the, you really shouldn't be have, have people playing these in a party category? I'd, I'd like is, to open that up. I've actually, that was one of the place testers for the initial Kaksune. So uh, I've missed some of the recent history with them, but uh, some of the initial stuff uh, I got to play with a little bit. Uh, they are incredibly difficult to work into a campaign, uh -huh. uh, mostly because they are so single-minded. It is, if they are not with other Kogsunes in, back in their own station, they are out for a reason, a single reason that they will accomplish or return. There's no leeway in that, according to the rules as written. Or... Uh, as I got to play them, I should say. Uh, and, and it's still the case. Uh, okay. Where rectors have motivations in first ed, uh, Kagsunes have a task. Yeah. And then once the task is complete, they're gone. They've left. They've completed it. They're not going to hang around. They don't interact the same way. I think a little bit of banter earlier on, we described them. They are incredibly technologically creative. They are not socially creative. And when you're playing this correctly, they're not someone you sit down and have a conversation with. They are... Someone who will, you can talk at, and they will talk at you back, but that is about it. It feels like when the layers of color were added after playtest, they've softened that somewhat. They're still very driven on a task, and I kind of remember like the Innomine role-playing game of Angels and Demons, where the characters were driven by a single concept, music or laughter or cruelty or something like that. And it may be that a task can be a little bit broader than just a single like go to point A to point B because yeah. you need to bring in allies. It's an experiment. You need to have multiple variables in control for them. So that, there's more than that, but they're still a very different mindset. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things that the, my players complained about was they wanted to sometimes go off and explore, as you know, players like to do. And with the Kogsune, it was, I want to go off and go poke the big shiny thing over there, but that's not where my task is, so I really can't. I can't justify it in character. So if they've mm -hmm. softened that a bit, or if they've allowed exceptions such as you know what, maybe we can go off that way and maybe we will find assets for completing our task that might, you know, be beneficial. That is a much so, nicer way. So to could, could a Kogsune's task be to learn the meaning of friendship? Uh, I don't. <laughs> it could be. I do not believe that would ever be a task or I don't know if from the, at least the playtesting rules, I don't know if that would be one of the things on a Kogsune's mind ever. That's fair. Well, That's fair. So a big example of like a, a very general task. The Lumen Corporation now controls all of the field coxunes. This is kind of scary. All of the field coxunes have been deployed through Lumen stations. They that that organization, Lumen, uses them as as a primary force, which is terrifying because those are the more robust and probably more eccentric coxunes, <laughs> if yeah. there's such a thing. Um, but Lumen's task is to learn how conflict 
and sudden change and adaptation can be used to broaden a mind. This is very dangerous with Kogsunes. Well, they are destroying the solar system right now. It's kind of fun. Uh, conflict. <laughs> yes, they, 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 but they're, they're creating it. They've created a company that's the most disruptive company ever. It's destabilizing the fabric of Seoul. It's, it's weakening Marsco and TTI, uh, IRPF, which are the backbones of, this, of the system. And they're okay with that. It's fun to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, that is very much what I was getting from the Kogsunas is, like, honestly, if I was to get a group of players together that were all Kogsunas, that would be a lot of fun. Mostly because there's so much they can do, and it's such a very different style of play. Yeah. Yeah, but I can unless you've unless you're dealing with somebody that's got a fairly like good meta approach to gaming where they've yeah. developed a task that will let them integrate with the PCs where they do something that needs allies, then yeah. it's going to be hard. If they're having a, a more well, it's kind of are you making a one shot character or an ongoing art character? I don't know. What I would do if I was doing this again is I would create the campaign world first and let the players run around and learn it, and then I would have them come back with one shots or two shots of. Let's have some fun with it as Kogsune is, and then the players come back and deal with the fallout back in the <coughs> campaign world, which is like the I'm going to be my own demons kind of campaign. I don't know. Party of Kogsune sounds about as much fun as an engineering meeting for me, and I have those <laughs> once a week already. Well, take the mad scientist oh. route. Yeah. Okay, okay. F it's, fantasy versions. It's yeah. the engineering meeting where instead of you're listening to your boss and explaining why they can't do things, it's your telling your boss, well, we could do this, and their response is, can you make it work faster? To which all of your friends say, can we have some more money? We can do this. <laughs> so in terms of integrating the party, I think that in many ways they were designed to integrate with the party. Um, when we, we joke about them, we joke about mad scientist foxes and assume they bring blaster rifles to things, but they don't. None of the Kogsune detachable limbs is actually a weapon. They are purely support. They're like uh, the original wizards in D&D 4th Ed, where most of their stuff is devoted to, um, well, they're, they're kind of, they fill the, like, s the controller slash support class. They uh -huh. actually have rays that will give people hit points or increase armor class. Uh, -huh. uh They can make the terrain difficult, um, throw up invisibility fields, that sort of thing. They have very few direct attack abilities, none that I can remember off the top yeah. of my head, and I was and looking. And if I recall correctly from the playtesting, it was they were built in such a way that they really couldn't handle weapons either. With the original combat really? system, they were huh. not good with... If you gave them a gun, they couldn't hit anything. If you gave them a sword, they couldn't, they couldn't deal damage. It was, they were very low strength. Huh. Well, they very high mind, though. And I yeah, think very range, high mind. Range combat procs off of mind and body, if I'm not mistaken. But you do still have to have some firearm skill, and I don't believe they or proficiency, I should say. I don't believe they had that. Uh, they can pick proficiency they dice can. where they want to. Their stats are really high and really shifted towards mind. They've done the PC thing of making community and economy ones. Right, yeah, frankly, right. that's what half of our PCs would do anyway, so I'm not they really sure that's the main... They don't need yeah. economy. They don't need community. They uh, communicate effectively and perfectly with all their other cogsinas, which is their main <laughs> focus. And if they need money, they just go, to, they just go home and like, pick up, you know, their allowance for the next year yeah pretty much well at least i i guess <laughs> they avoid the other the major role-playing pitfalls of the the kender the, the the character that steals from the party or yeah or they're also it sounds like not the character that murders everyone you talk to which is the yeah. other 
major RPG pitfall. Yeah, they're pretty chill in certain ways, but they're maniacally focused on a thing. You do have to have a very good player to handle it. When they handle it well, it is a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It, it is that one person who will drive along a plot. So if you have a, a if if I had a group that was struggling to find a you know a goal or needed a little bit of railroading, a Kogsune NPC or player character would probably be one of the things I throw at them. But could it? Could the Kogsune? get the other players on board with what it was doing or would they just say okay room sweeper robot go crazy sweep it I'm going to be buffing my nails it depends, I, depends, depends. if you give a good enough reason players will take any path you give them I suppose so well <laughs> I know it does seem like they'd be really good like Mr. Smith's though in terms of passing on missions Mr. Jones Mr. Jones is passing on missions and Bosley sir Bosley I mean, and there is the draw of if you give a player character a character that is interesting, the other player characters flock to it and will follow, unless you have another person who is trying to lead the group in another direction. You can't have two snowflakes. Yeah, that's true. Well, you can, as long as they have a similar common goal, and then you get a very interesting game. Um, by and large, I think coxines are better for like tightly focused things, honed things, intent things. They, 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 their role in the story should also be kind of task driven. And as a PC goes, one in a campaign party would be really kind of messy. The, the limitations they have on them, which are supposed to, I think, off balance their really un- absurdly high IQs and ability to access preeminent talents at character creation, they're not really limits. The Kogzuni psychological limit is that I think Seb describes it as they can't think outside the box. They have a very big box, but they can't think outside of it. So like one of their big trials right now is trying to solve transcendent technology, which doesn't really have rules. Uh And it's driving them up the wall, and that's why they're destroying the universe to get the tool set to crack open this. He says they kind of lack the faith gene that humanity has, the ability to reach for something that's not proven. That's a very Star Trek. It is. It is a kind of Roddenberry approach to things, but it's how they see it. They're robots. Sure, They're sure. just furry robots. Okay. But um, in practice, there there's limits on what they can do to their bodies to upgrade them. They can have a number of limbs, and that's limited. But they're able to have them as needed if they can negotiate with the game master to have them. And they don't advance in terms of learning new skills and things like that unless the game master and they determine that situation is such that they deserve to or can. So it's a situation where, like, the stereotypical girlfriend of the gamer character uh, player could have more influence inside their role than maybe they should in this one. Or if the game master was uh, viewing this as, like, a, a favored PC, it could be off-balancing fairly quickly. There's not really controls on their advancement that are firm. Now, that is also a... A problem in First Dead that advancement is generally it's one of its weak points as a system. I think it was worded as every three sessions you will convince the GM that you deserve an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I I enjoy that. Hey, wines. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm saying that they, they sound in the least bit attractive, but can they reproduce with cogs or vectors? I don't remember. <laughs> or do they just not say? Uh, they don't mention that. Yeah. They're a different biological base. And remember that cogs were designed to be integrated with another species. Right. Um, as far as we know, the technology for them, 
only could be implanted in something made up of similar material. Okay, so, so probably not. I mean, they could create some sort of horrible technovirus that <laughs> but sure. sexually transmitted technovirus. I don't know. Let's go there. Actually, that'll be the supplement for next year. <laughs> there you um, go. But Ashtar staring at me. Um, <laughs> But I think there's no evidence that they can interbreed. Okay. They're probably printed, honestly. They are tools and they know it, and they probably are mass-produced. They okay. just bud. From the, Cox, yeah. the Cogsune printing press. Wasn't that part of, part of their ship? Was that if they died out in the field, their ship could reprint them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. They have deployment stations now. Yeah. Go to your local Lumen vendor and get your new body. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're just... Molecularly printed, same as everything else in the universe now, hmm. but faster and with a brain. I wonder if that's probably timed fairly closely with uh, Pulse developing the print my new body teleportation system. It's probably contemporary with that or Makes like sense. 50 years earlier. Hmm. It's a thought. Uh, things we know about them, they tend to be very defensive and cagey around anybody that's got corporate power. That's kind of interesting. Like specifically, if they know someone has like a corporate allegiance of three or higher, that means that person's pretty engaged. The corporation uh-huh. is an upper up with them or worse. They're four and like board member level. They are going to be shying away from that person as hard as they can because they are secretive. Um, but they're a known secret. They're not hidden from the universe. It's not like X-Files level of hiding. If your character's at all plugged into the world of the strange and interesting and bizarre, they're going to know these things are out there somewhere. Right. So... It's not something that you'd have to hide from your PCs much. So do you not see them just walking around in big cities? No. Okay. They're rare. They don't like gravity wells much. They tend to collect on small stations. It's only the field ones that get out there at all. And they're usually on their mission. They're, they're, they're not common. Okay. Um, they adopt the Marvel solution. They wear a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They tend to masquerade as like small canines. Right. My character. I remember that. I think that was actually written as they will wear a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, I believe the ears are so big though. Just fold them down. They're like Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's in a world where there are Phoenix, so yeah. right. why not? It's not out of the question. Um, but no, they tend to, I mean, they don't like being in public. They have a lot of trouble socially integrating with things. Uh-huh. Uh, the description of another description is they could like break down and rebuild a mountain with no trouble at all. But shopping for groceries is going to be really hard for them. Huh. Because they just can't handle that kind of adaptation and, and chaos. I mean, look, 16 different kinds of potatoes. What do you do with that? How will I know until I try them all? Yes. <laughs> Boil them all in national. We will get 50 of each one. Good. Everything tastes good with enough butter. <laughs> uh, another big thing with them is, of course, death is totally an inconvenience. Uh, they are perfectly willing to off themselves to teleport home. That is not a problem at all. Huh. The, there are two situations where Kagsunes actually worry about death. Uh, one is if it's going to interrupt an experiment and make them lose some of their observation time. The other is they really don't want to die around transcendent technology, around high quill, 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 I'm reading this again. Quill. Quill, yeah, high quill level areas, bio ships, that sort of thing, because transcendent radiation really messes with their ability to teleport home. Huh. And even when they get there, they might, uh, the station is maybe going to question whether it's actually them, whether oh, they've right, been like right. personality cloned, whether they're actually dead or not. So um, bureaucratically or physically, uh, transcendent tech makes them quite nervous and they don't like being around it if they happen to die. Hmm. So that's a thing. That is an, a legitimate limitation on them as well. But it is a lot of fun to play with if you're actually running a campaign with Coxinas, as you just throw them in an area with a lot of transcendent technology. And they go, eee! Yeah. 
It makes them more careful. Should we move on to Lumen? Sure. Okay, so Lumen, you might not have been there for this. No, unfortunately, I was still in transit. So, like two years ago, in Mars space, someone was picked up by an alien spaceship and moved to Venus in five minutes. That's quite fast. That was Lumen. Uh, they brought lightspeed technology to Terra, to Sol, and have really just redefined the system. They've made the system a few hours wide as opposed to a few months wide. Where was that when I was coming here? It's expensive. Ah. Uh, yeah. They were already here. Nobody goes to Ganymede anyway. The, I mean, fair. <laughs> fair. It's, it's quite cold. But there's a lot of transcendent, you know, yeah, TTI is kind of the rope, main yeah. people. That may actually be the only place safe from the damn things. I might go back. <laughs> <laughs> not, not blaming you for that. So no, Lumen is, I think, the doorway to Second Ed. Um, they were introduced in Sound and Silence as a way of making this, as really advancing the meta plot of the game. Um, since then, Soul Soul's really been kind of static for a while. Transcendent Technology was the last big thing, and that was maybe 70 years ago or so, 100 years ago. But now things are changing quite a bit. Um, Lightspeed Technology is there. Mars Co. is extremely paranoid. IRPF is nervous. They both can't control this very nasty technology and it's threatening to it's threatening one of uh well both of their main main sources of income travel and military uh lumen has proven that they can miniaturize a fleet taking battleships and reducing the size to suvs packing dozens of them onto a standard freighter moving that freighter at the speed of light behind enemy lines and deploying can't they also you know be nesting with their tails you mean uh, hiding in there? Oh, yeah. oh the, 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 the recursive. Oh, the phoenix. Oh, they all have to have the same tail implant. Ah. Some of them are using that tails for scientific research. I'll, it's, a, it's an implant. Really, it is. Um, they have technology that can miniaturize things so they can replace, they can make a micro-sized blaster rifle with all the kick of the original blaster rifle. Right. Although they're not really miniaturizing it, they're just rebuilding it based on their own strange version of physics. So they bring all this technology in, and it's really there to see what happens, to shake the entire universe and see what falls out. And after that fact, we get into situations where, I think just, no, it's, Pul it's Pulse and Regenitus feel brave enough to take on the, the Ruby Spire on Earth to strike the whispers at their, at their heart. The entire universe is suddenly agitated by these strange forces, and they're willing to take action that they weren't before. Uh, it's a different time, and I think a lot of that is brought in by the complete destabilization of two of the great stabilizers. It's a new system. Because like the, the whispers in the Great Spire on Earth, that was kind of a kind of be all end all, don't go here zone. Did something else happen outside of Lumen and Sound and Silence? I might have missed that as well. Mm, or is this more of a tech has developed to a point where we might be able to stand a chance from these creatures that are going to you know, disappear into someone I, without being seen or really completely unknown and come out at the least opportune time. I don't think there's any big tech change that brought this about. One of the biggest delays was that everybody was sitting and waiting and watching to see what Marsco would do. Marsco was in kind of a quiet state and kind of a just not not making any major waves. And I think the understanding is people just got tired of waiting. 
Yeah, I think that's a good shorthand for it. There's some hints about this in Core Extended when they have the long chapter about lore towards the end. They mention the strike on the spire and they talk about they're waiting to see what Marsco does and maybe Marsco will change its its tactics or something like that. We don't really know. The only major metaplot shift has been that it's been Lumen and the strike on the spire. Uh, it's, the game is still fairly metaplot light. These are like large scale shifts and it hasn't happened yet. It's going to. If you look at the video, it kind of suggests that that's in the in the future as well. The Kickstarter video kind of points towards this, but it hasn't happened yet, uh, and maybe it never will. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe the game master book will have more about it. All right. It's a slow meta plot that's advancing itself in in large chunks. Uh, I did thinking about it now, knowing that perhaps Lumen is one of the forces behind this crazy destabilization might help explain why ASR is not involved at all in their strike on the Ruby Tower. Uh, they they were maybe they got the uh, playbook ahead of time. That oh. wouldn't surprise me all that much, considering ASR has always been incredibly wary when it comes to dealing with anything that might upset the cogs. Yeah, well, they're also um, but. On the other hand, ASR generally is one of the groups that kind of steers war and battle. They control the flow of war technology yeah. and make sure people don't get too much power and things like that. That doesn't mean they control war, but they do put their thumbs on the scales of it. Yeah. They have pulse attacking it. They do a lot. Yeah. that's It's, 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 it's pulse progenitus thing mostly. TTI is upset by the entire idea. They're staying way the hell out of that. Well, of course. We have Ganymede. <laughs> Europa. ASR has Ganymede, I think. ASR has Ganymede? I thought well, it was... ASR's, one of ASR's big tourist attractions is on Ganymede. Oh. Well, I mean, everyone is everywhere. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget. Uh, let me double check that. Europa is the homeworld of uh, TTI. Is that the ice one? Yeah, that's, the ice one. that's the only one I'm forgetting. Yeah, I guess it is Europa. Yeah. Oh, also, second, it has uh, IO as being a place to visit. You just don't want to because it's like a battle zone from hell. What happened there? I missed this one too. It's a corporate playground. Ah. To put your war engines out there for experimentation. Fair enough. Yeah. We needed a new version of BattleBots. Yes. It's that. Um, let's see. Other corporations' views on um, Lumen. Uh, Marsco is, of course, very not happy with Lumen because Marsco's very Suffering. big and. What? Suffering. So, yeah, it is. Uh, first off, they didn't see it coming. Secondly, their main industry, one of the main industries is shipping, manufacturing, and Lumen is very disruptive in terms of shipping because they have basically sold time as a concept to vectors. Months turn to minutes. It's amazing. Uh, IRPF is very frustrated by them because the entire idea of military is breaking down. If a fleet can be teleported in behind enemy lines, that makes them very vulnerable and so these two megacorps are really worried about like major revenue sources kind of crumbling and that financially they're very nervous they're working together to find any leg up on lumen they can uh some way of control controlling them quarantining them breaking their light speed barrier technology whatever whatever they don't know so i guess this is another question coming down uh more targeted towards the marsco and IRPF? IRPF, yeah. I'm forgetting. I was thinking Spyglass. Uh, but IRPF. What is the tech requirements for lightspeed travel? You're explaining it more like teleportation, but is there? does it need to have a receiver? Uh, does it need a transmitter? Is it just kind of a engine in a ship where they can go 
I am here and now I am over here, kind of like Star Wars. Yeah, it's just fast. It's not very fast. It caps off at like twice the speed of light. Okay, yeah, I realize... Piddling twice the speed of light. Compared to like my bicycle, that's not terribly fast. That's pretty fast, but... It does have some other limitations. It's pretty explicitly spelled out that it is a dead-end technology as far as the Coxini were concerned. It's not something that's going to spread vectors across the solar system. It... Well, solar system, yes. Actually, universe, sorry, no. Across the universe. No, it, it is useful within the solar system. It might have some limitation around the gravity well. It It's great for what it's doing, which is disrupting local power structures. Um, but that's about it. And it's going to hit the end of usable development pretty quickly, yeah. which is why the Cogsunis kind of spun it off and went, okay, so we're going to go send that to go play around and break stuff and see what happens. But it's not some great secret that's going to propel them into the next yeah. tech generation or whatever. So, like, what are the limitations? Like, can it go through things? or It's just fast. Just fast. Just fast. So it goes, fa- it goes from point A to point B very fast in a straight line. Yes. But if anything is in the way, it'll hit it. I think that you're over-sciencing this. I, well, I kind of want to know these. <laughs> well, don't, don't, don't run at the wall if you can avoid running at the wall. Well, fair. Um, but remember, artificial intelligence is quite powerful, and presumably, cognitive artificial intelligence is even more powerful still. Yes. So they can predict things pretty well. That's fair. And they probably have some model of the... I, sorry, in my campaigns, I'm playing with a lot of computer scientists who get very finicky about having everything spelled out exactly when it comes towards sci-fi. I can top that. In my Mage the Ascension campaign, we had a physicist playing... An interview mage specialist. It was so tedious. <laughs> I just got out of a um, Mages the Ascension campaign with uh, a few engineers and oh a, uh, not a physicist, a pharmacist and a, uh, I think, a surgeon in training. Oh, this sounds so tedious. It didn't last very long. <laughs> Too much science. <laughs> anyway, I think that you can't um, take the magic out of this technology. Okay. It, just, it just works. Wonderful. And it doesn't work that well. Even getting to a nearby star, sh- star, sh- star, getting to a nearby star is a generation ship type approach. Okay. Which actually brings it into the realm of PC playability because you're like 15 years out to reach the nearest star is fairly reasonable. And that's something you could you could have as a major plot element, but it's something you could have in campaign time. Yeah, if it is, you know, light, twice light speed, the stars are still, what is it? There's a 30 light years away that is the closest, that closest neighbor that is not the sun. I think it's like seven. Seven. That's so still quite a few. That's still three years in game time at twice light speed. Right. Yeah, well, and of course, you know, relativistic effects... Time slows down to to nothing as you hit light speed, and then as you get past it, of course, we know what happens is insert something here. <laughs> Again, don't pay no attention to that man behind the curtains, love. Right. I so, mean, when in doubt, we can also just say the Hydra comes back, and if you jump out of the system at light speed, you well, well your ship may or may not ever come back. Not quite, but. The, the good ending there is that you find a couple of other systems that are just empty and devoid of life. The, yeah. the bad ending there is you start falling into TTI space, which is very... The void. Well hinted at towards the end of uh, the, the expansion books. Yeah. So one, one thing I worry about Lumen Technology doing um, is... 
this kind of goes back to like early on when we were first getting into the game where I, I felt like the universe was a little bit small and you thought the universe was fairly infinite. But I think that breaking open light speed technology, it changes the travel time from like ocean voyage style months to the furthest destination, weeks to the nearby one, to minutes. So it makes the game, I think, potentially much more picaresque, much more island hopping. Uh, characters can bounce from destination to destination, and I think there'll be less need to explore something in depth. It's not going to be a big thing, but I do think you could end up taking a tonal shift in that direction. You could. But one of the other effects of this is grottos and such are no longer disconnected. It doesn't matter if you're lost in deep space somewhere. Someone can still jump there in like five minutes, five hours. You're just as connected. You're closer than the moon would be. That's Leaving from terrestrial to one of the stations of the moons is actually a longer journey than going from the orbital station to the, one of the farthest grottos you can imagine. Oh, that's going to be really problematic for the grottos, though. They're going to be unpackable at that point. Mm -hmm. That's a real, yeah, the, there's, there's no protection in isolation anymore. Right. That is true, but do remember, uh, if the lumen is being as disruptive as uh, you say they are, then there's really still going to be no one there to unpack the grottos. It's going to be, what is a priority? Is it going to be going to find the people who are struggling to remain isolated by being isolated, or is it going to be making sure that we don't have larger problems that could potentially appear behind us at any moment? So there is an element of isolation is still nice because no one is going to go looking for you mm -hmm. unless you've done something really bad. Yeah. Hey, I can, I can buy that. If your space station is a shithole, no one's going to want to go there. Yeah. So we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> Progenus wants to go there. Progenus wants to go everywhere. <laughs> uh, Spyglass was not terribly thrilled with Lumen as well because A, they wanted to know, they, they don't, they, had they missed that one, uh, because they have all the secrets. B, there was a lot of banking on light speed for a long time. I think early on, a lot of people open, unpacking HSD for the first time said, where's the light speed technology? Because I think that's what you want in your science fiction game is the planet hopping aspect, the Star Trek aspect. Right, that wasn't one, there. One expects it. Right. And we, I think we kind of rapidly warmed up to having a local sci-fi game once sure. you adapted to that's the mindset. Um, but there's always been plans and approaches for light speed technology, but Marsco buys them out and, and TTI quashes them or whatever. And Spyglass had briefcases full of possible solutions. And when this happened, they like, oh, these have no value anymore. This has already been out. Well, what do we do? There's no more balance of terror there. So that entire market and secrets kind of was put away. Uh, when when talking about corporation versus corporation conflict, this is something that kind of that um, uh, Pierce Fraser comes comes back to a lot is that there was this detent stalemate of people not doing light speed because it would disrupt the trade balance. So this kind of poster child for disrupting trade balance is what Lumen brings in immediately and makes sense. <laughs> So, so did Spyglass, is Spyglass doing anything else? Is that something else we can talk about? Or are they just kind of quiet for all of this current meta plot? They, because they're not really big into the fighting scene. They're more of the, we're going to sit back and watch and maybe sell your secrets kind of scene. Um, I can only imagine Lumen is doing wonderful things for them as well, considering this is... Oh, sorry. Would you like me to restart? From yeah, if you would. Okay, so what else is Spyglass doing in this scene as they are, you know, 
we have Pulse and Progenitus going down to attack the Spire. Uh, Spire, we have IRPF and Marsco who are panicking about Lumen. Spyglass, are they panicking at all, considering this is a company that is more towards the sit back and we're going to watch you and sell your secrets, and now we're confronted with something with, you know, AIs that are well beyond anything they could probably imagine, that build computers that are smaller and faster than anything they can really handle. This Lumen also has the potential to up the spying game for Spyglass to such an extent that Spyglass might not be competing. What's the kind yeah. of plot behind this at the moment? Uh Seb didn't specifically unpack that in the book, but yeah, uh, the Coxines have the best communication network in Seoul at this point. It's faster than light speed. This is, even with radio transmission, Spyglass can still only transmit at light speed and suddenly... I guess I'm not sure about that. That hasn't been specced out too clearly, but it is very fast. It's the best. I mean, yeah. I can send a hard drive over light speed faster than you can send a hard drive over standard speed. Yeah, but <laughs> once you t take into account the time it takes to parallel park. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is it? Um, I think it was actually proven recently that even with 10 gigabit internet, uh, with the world's... Well, because remember, one terabyte flash drives also just came out. Or uh, it's not flash drive, SD cards just came out in right. real world times. Uh it is still faster to send a bunch of homing pigeons with one terabyte SD cards than it is to use gigabit internet. So for... For, the, for certain definitions of fast, yes. Yeah, it'll get there faster. <laughs> Transferring it across the city, it is still faster to use SD cards with... Yeah. yeah. Latency is atrocious, but the throughput is amazing. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So, no, that, that doesn't need to be specifically addressed. But, yeah, I think it's very reasonable to say, hey, these, these people can move information uh, accurately, quietly, undetectably, unblockably. I, mm -hmm. Maybe let's not discuss whether it breaks the speed of light or not, because that's uh, a question. But it's very efficient. And, yeah, that's something they should be afraid of um, and probably are. They may not know it yet because there's a lot they don't know about Lumen and Lumen. The, the fact that Lumen is backed by Cogsunes is not actually public knowledge. So, um the Cogsunes are out there, that's well known. The Lumen is huge and disruptive, that's well known. But they work through a robot puppet, and all of their agents are vectors. Like, all the employees of Lumen are vectors. Oh. Yeah. So, so, so all they know for sure is that when there's communications from corporate on the video, they only see the tips of two ears wiggling back and forth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Looks like Yoda. <laughs> So I think that may be a veiled thing still. And there are, I don't know how many Kogsunis there are, but not enough to really like mount a Kogsune army. And it's, it's the Lumen ones are a small number of Kogsunis too. Yeah. So it's not, Lumen has some limitations. Uh, they don't have, they have a lot of money cash right now, but they don't have corp towns. They don't have corp nations. They don't have stability. They don't have history. They don't have personnel. Um, and their pockets are deep, but not, like Mars Co. Infinite. Yeah, that's fair. It is more of a up and coming, as you said. It's a startup, but it's a startup with a lot of funding. Yeah. A corporation is only as good as its leadership. <laughs> and that leadership is tiny engineer Phoenix. <laughs> God help us all. So in a, in a little setting I wrote up uh, for the website, there's a town that was largely owned by a corporation whose specialty was building corp towns for people. And Lumen bought them. And that's got people a little bit nervous there because the the infrastructure network they're building there is is quite hmm. rich, but that's a personal fiction, not a canon thing. I did also finish writing up Starbucks and Donut Beast officially. <laughs> Good.
Actually, that would be really funny to have light speed travel between corp towns. Of uh, we can have one town that is entirely dedicated to you know schools. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, be really amusing is if you combine the maturation technology with the corp towns. Just throw out a little cube, and then boom, instant corp town. They have it. It's the <laughs> Rubox. <laughs> the Rubox. It's new. Welcome to Second Head. So Lumen's great weaknesses. They are not really organized. They're not there for a long-term plot. They don't have the big picture that, say, Marsco does, and Marsco has quite a big picture indeed. So Lumen, Lumen's big weaknesses as a company, they are, they're not really antagonists per se. They're just a big disruptive force. Their long-term planning is not great. They are not Marsco. They do not see the big picture or act on it at least. They are there to create execute an experiment and like you said they're fairly task driven it's a bounded experiment that experiment is to enhance the kogsuni ai um, and develop the ability to grasp the unknown Uh, to do that they will see how the entire universe responds to great stressors and damn the consequences but they don't exploit the system they don't work the system they're missing a lot of huge opportunities because that's not why they're there it also seems like while they are very tall, they can't go very wide. Like Marsco is everywhere. So if a collective Marsco force happened, you would not be able to hide. Whereas if a collective Lumen force happened, it sounds like you could probably slip through the cracks pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't think they could mount the most successful attack in the world. Um, that's true. Although Marsco is so slow and ASR is so slow that that's their own downfalls. Uh, it is true. So when, when pondering point for me is uh-huh. our Kogsune's individuals, just going right back to the Kogsune's at the top of the episode. And I feel like there's some, some back and forthing on this because the book will describe them as having individual characteristics, particularly field Kogsune's and individual interests. In our episode in the brown paper wrapper where Sev answered a lot of sex-based questions, we even talk about Kogsune fetishes because they're, they're really into they don't like waste as a concept so if you have a strong revulsion or something it also creates an equal and opposite attraction anyway neither here nor there so it is quite possible that coxunes have strong individual personalities uh probably strong eccentric eccentric personalities as well but there's also some references that maybe they are part of something kind of vaguely like a hive mind the book talks about the coxune intelligence maybe that's metaphorical maybe not i don't know that's probably up to your campaign they can certainly be in communication with each other to whatever degree they want to. As machines, presumably they can download themselves in many of the same ways that COGS can. They have some similar elements of the technology. We don't know. So a, a question of whether there is something like the Kagasune group mind, I think, would be something that your campaign might want to address. If you're dealing with these as an antagonist race, for instance. It is one of those uh, situations where it is... How much do they communicate? How fast do they communicate? And what extent do they communicate? If you have a bunch of individuals, but they are literally sharing every single thought, Mm -hmm. is that any different from a hive mind? And are the field kagsunes any different? Are they trying to possibly escape that in your campaign? I remember uh, in some D&D games, the mind flayers had like the big central brain and it would absorb people or control them. And some of the more rebellious mind flayers, which is a ludicrous statement, uh, would try and escape that and become somewhat sympathetic antagonists. I mean, not as sympathetic as a drow, but still. So uh, the escape from the hive mind might be a interesting place for your PC type Kogsune to come in or out. 
Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. Like and a high, like a Kagsuna that became self-aware. That would be great. Though not creative. We should avoid that. Well, self-aware and creative are two different things. Right, but right, definitely right. the, oh my God, what are we doing? Where that's the, my ideas are a little bit too radical for the rest of the group. And I need to express that in some way, but really don't know how. Let's explore this. And my task is now to figure out how to express and to avoid dying. And to avoid dying, because if I die, then I go back, and then, well... And then the Kogsune self-destructs, because they were smarter than that. We're <laughs> <laughs> playing the Kogsune, who was unconscious when he was supposed to get his new security keys installed, and now he can't speak to the Kogsune network anymore. That so sad. Fun. So sad. I'm be... missing my stories. <laughs> a, a sad, depressed, fat robot. <laughs> yes. Oh no, what could possibly go wrong? And now all anyone ever says to me is, Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed 35 minutes of memes and my life is no longer complete. <laughs> I can't tell if they're shushing me or if I can't talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think on that note, uh, I'm going to wrap up. And let's see, this is episode 47 and 48. Uh, next episode, I guess we start with Pulse. And uh, we've been doing like three arc, three episode arcs for the corpse. I think it's probably going to go down to two because after ASR, there's less like background noise for the corporations. And then episode 50 is very soon. So we'll see what happens then. Also, no one can stand that much Pulse. I love Pulse so much. <laughs> At least I did before Ashtar ruined them for me. Hey. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us. And once again, catchy outro line. Do we actually have a catchy outro line? Or do you just say that every time? You've never listened to a podcast, Ashtar. Never. That's the joke. <laughs> Good night. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Chronicles, both by Sirius Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. They're disruptive. They're a social experiment. It's not quite... <laughs> YT, what are you doing? Try not to cough. Oh, oh it's cough. It's cough. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought you thought of something funny. And I was like, oh my God, it must be hilarious. <laughs> it's turning purple. <laughs> no, I was just trying not to cough. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. poor thing. I'm sorry. So, unusual, then you will fall back onto the stereotypes more firmly than anything else. <laughs> squeak, 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 squeak. Why do you, you don't even use that? You don't even like that toy. She likes it today. Okay, well that's going in the blue reel. <laughs>